listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. In this episode of Dairy Voice, we're speaking with Dr. Mark Stevenson, who's the Director of Dairy Policy Analysis at the College of Ag and Life Sciences at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Recently, he made a presentation for the folks at Farm Credit East looking ahead to the dairy economy for 2020. And while that was uh, a bit oriented to the Northeast, he spoke about national and international trends, and we're going we're gonna to ask him to share that information with us in this, in this episode. Dr. Stevenson, thank you very much for joining us on Dairy Voice. Happy to be here. Thank you. Why don't we start right in? Your early slides and your early discussion recently was about the U.S. dairy economy or the U.S. economy and how that impacts dairy. Well, I started with that because I had a title on this particular outlook, at least, that it was a better outlook for 2020. But I also had kind of a subtitle on that that said, with a couple of asterisks. And of course, asterisks mean read the fine print. (laughs) And the fine print I have on here is that our domestic economy has been great. I mean, it's really been strong. And in fact, if you look at some of the numbers, uh, like the unemployment rate, the last uh, report that we had was at three and a half percent. And that is a historic low. Three and a half percent is well below what an economist would think of as full employment. So we've made a tremendous recovery from the 10% unemployment we had back in the uh, 2008-9 recession. Uh, that's that's part of uh, the good news story. That has helped to keep dairy demand relatively strong. But you know, one of the asterisks that I have is that we do see some signs that foretell a slowing of the economy. Um, one of those signs has been a metric that's looked at by macroeconomists, and that's the difference between a 10-year treasury bill rate and a two-year treasury bill rate. That's sometimes called the yield curve. And when we get a 10-year rate that is almost as low as or even below sometimes the two-year rate, that's called an inverted yield curve. You want long-term interest rates to be higher than short-term rates because that's an indication of a positive view of the future. When we have Uh, seen this kind of thing happen before, it has really quite accurately foretold at least a stalling of the economy, if not a recession. So over the last 50 years, we've had seven um, recessions, a time when economic growth was below your earlier levels for a sustained period of time. And this 10 minus two year treasury bill spread has accurately forecasted that all seven times. There was one false positive that they had in there, but that was also a time period when at least the economy slowed quite a bit. I also read where a number of economists are projecting or forecasting that our job growth is likely to slow by the time we get to third quarter. And I think that Washington is going to do just about everything that it can to make sure that the face of the economy looks pretty good going into the election. So I'm not expecting 2020 to be a recession year, but I think we're going to have strong evidence that the economy is slowing by the time we get to the end of the year. Who knows? Maybe by 2021, early part of that time period, maybe we will actually be sliding into that. I think the best we can hope for is a slower growth and possibly even mild recession. So that impacts domestic demand for dairy products. On the export side and opportunity, we've had some return to growth lately, and those export sales have been reasonably good. Uh, There are some countries that have uh, impacted that in particular. We're, We're always looking for that to come back. And, you know, all of this has been good news 
news for the 2019 milk prices, at least the ones at the end of the year, uh, because we've all seen some significant improvement in our milk checks uh, with the high price this year for November milk uh, or the year past for November milk. And as we look forward, I'm expecting the prices to decline for a short period of time, but to improve thereafter. You know, some of this is this good news story that both domestic sales have been strong and export sales are picking up. Export sales aren't where we would really like them to be yet, but they're getting there. And some of our improvements in these trade negotiations are likely to help us, but uh, we we do need to keep a pretty careful eye on our opportunities there. When we don't have those opportunities, we usually will first see the um, stocks of storable dairy products like cheese or butter, skim milk powder begin to grow because those anticipated exports are staying here at home. The difference that we had here in this last five years, the reason that we didn't have $10 class three prices like we did back in 2009 uh, was really because uh, we had a strong enough economy to absorb those um, export sales that stayed here at home. But the stocks did grow. Uh, We're now uh, at a point in time where exports have picked up a little bit, but importantly, the milk production growth in the U.S. has slowed, and it slowed below a level where it would just uh, keep up with our increase in domestic demand for dairy products. So I think that uh, it's that as much as anything that's given us the opportunity to have better milk prices. If you take a look at something like U.S. cheese stocks, American cheese stocks, they've finally been drawn down in 2019, been pulled down, not to a level where there's any panic, but maybe to a level that feels more comfortable and perhaps only lightly burdensome. Butter stocks have actually begun to grow a bit. Uh, there is some pessimism there, and you know that's been pushing down on our butter fat values and milk checks. That's been a little bit worrisome. But the reason, uh, at least one of the reasons that we've seen these two things happening, cheese prices improving and butter uh, prices maybe softening some, is because of our relationship to domestic prices in the U.S. in comparison to major export competitors. Butter prices, as a good example, ours have been enough above European Union that the European Union cast its eye on us and and realized that, hey, we could be a destination for their butter as opposed to a competitor for butter sales. We received quite a bit of butter from them in 2019. It's one of the reasons that our stocks of butter have increased. And right now, we're seeing fairly strong sales of skim milk powder. That product going into plants has left a fair amount of cream available uh, to churn. And so we're producing a fair amount of butter and that's headed into our inventories. Cheese prices, however, have been divergent and uh, from world markets. We can't sustain those divergent prices for very long before we get reeled back in. That's one of the reasons we're seeing those cheese prices decline now and milk prices as a result of it. So it's a bit of a complicated picture and a lot of moving parts, but the bottom line is that our milk production growth has slowed. In the first half of 2019, we had two or three months where we actually had negative growth. Uh, it's largely been flat over the course of the uh, 2019 time period. 
And while there's a, a bit of additional growth right now, I don't think we're going to see a very strong increase in milk production. Some of the reason for that is that cow numbers are down. And part of the reason for that is that milk production per cow is growing only slowly. And part of the reason for the production per cow growing slowly is that we've got poor quality and inadequate quantities of feeds in some areas like the upper Midwest. Dairy quality alfalfa hay is hard to find and very expensive if you can get it. So I think we're going to see uh, slower growth in milk production through the rest of 2020. Cantus comes to the market in 2020 with a new vision for animals, farmers, and food production. Our world-changing technology combines computer vision and artificial intelligence to watch over your business 24-7, alerting you when it matters most. We help you make data-driven decisions to improve your dairy operation and animal health, positively impacting productivity and profitability. Cantus is keeping an eye on your farm and an eye on your future. To learn more about us, log on to Cantus.com today. And we're back. Another factor that you mentioned, talk about the, the heifer inventory and some of the changes in, in uh, management practices. Sure. You know, we've had some changes going on, obviously. The possibility of uh, fairly low-cost genomic testing on animals has meant that a lot of herds have identified cows that they really don't want their genetics to continue in the herd. So they're breeding their better cows to high-quality dairy bulls. Many of the lower genetic-proof animals are being bred to beef animals. So our heifer inventories are less than they've been in several years. Now, heifers are expensive to raise, so there's obviously no reason for us to keep a lot of heifers on hand that we don't really need to have. So this is a good strategy for folks to keep costs lower, but it also means that if we got another year of mill prices like 2014, and by the way, I'm not forecasting that, uh, but if we got that kind of year, we would be slower to respond to it simply because we couldn't throw a lot of new animals into the dairy herd. We can do some for sure, and I know that folks are creative. We'd find ways to grow, but it would not be as rapid as it would be uh, would have been back in 2014. So that is an issue. You had some interesting uh, thoughts uh, about the whole fluid milk situation. Uh, we've seen a lot of press uh, lately, almost predicting the uh, the big decline of the dairy industry and the and the uh, all the problems with fluid. But you've kind of put that in perspective for us. Well, I tried. Um, you know, sometimes those headlines just drive me nuts because <laughs> I look at at fluid and I realize, oh yeah, this is a disturbing uh, trend that we've had since 2010. Fluid milk sales have been on the decline. I mean, pretty dramatic decline. But we still are consuming a lot of fluid milk per capita in this country. However, there are changes taking place in that category out there. We've seen the headlines, of course, for bankruptcy and a couple of our major fluid firms, but I think that reflects a lot of different things. One of them is that that's in a very thin margin business. There's not much profit on a jug of uh, milk coming out of a fluid plant at all. 
and in many cases, probably not enough to cover the debts and existing costs, you know, that uh, some of those operations have. But we've had declining sales. So in a thin margin business, declining sales is not a recipe for success. Part of that has been due to competing beverages, including plant-based milks, but that's been probably a smaller impact than um, even the beverage competition with bottled water. So, you know, don't blame it all on plant-based milk. But we've also had some demographic headwinds. We've had uh, fewer children, and they're the major milk drinking demographic that we have, uh, and our population is aging. So that's been working against us as well as far as fluid consumption. And then I think you have to just get down to changing preferences. Cold cereal sales are way down from where they had been uh, many years ago. And gosh, when I was growing up, you know, my mother would have put two or three boxes of cereal on the breakfast table. And that was my choice between those three. But, you know, there's going to be milk on whatever choice there was. And I can't tell you the last time I had a bowl of cold cereal. But I open the refrigerator and I grab a carton of yogurt almost every morning. So I've changed categories. That's hard for fluid milk, but it's not bad for dairy farmers and sales of milk. And for Frankly, if we look at per capita consumption of milk equivalent across all dairy products, um, it was the highest this last year that it's been since the mid-1960s. So it's not a bad news story. We've had growth in quite a few of our segments. Cheese is just an all-star and has been for a long time. So, you know, milk sales are still strong. The factors that uh, you mentioned include some some things, uh, the DMC program for smaller dairies and, and your assessment that perhaps some larger producers aren't as aggressively looking to expand and uh, the impact of uh, the financial industry uh, and their willingness to finance expansion in dairy. Talk about a couple of those factors that you mentioned. Well, last year um, when we passed the farm bill, the basic bones and structure of the old margin protection program were kept kept in place, but they tweaked almost all of the major parameters in that program. And they even changed the name uh, to the Dairy Margin Coverage Program. That has really made it a much more appealing, useful risk management program, I think, for dairy producers. Um, Last year, 2019, the first year that we had the DMC, uh, the net benefit for Tier 1, first 5 million pounds of historic production at the 950 level, excuse me, had a net benefit of about 40 cents a hundredweight. So, you know, that that really did help farms. So smaller farms in particular, of course, received all of that benefit. Larger farms could have received that net benefit on the first five million pounds of production. But after that, they're going to have to look for other risk management protection. So that's been good. You'd mentioned, as I had, that some of our larger producers around the country, even though prices are improving, are not looking for expansion opportunities right now. Um, they're more circumspect this time. I suspect that a lot of them are feeling the need to repair their balance sheets as well. Some of them may be at just a life stage too, where you know they their children, their sons and daughters have come back to farms, and uh, you know they're not so much in the need to uh, be thinking about a new operation somewhere. I don't think we're looking at no expansions, but I think that we're looking at much more circumspect expansions this time around. And even banks, um, in some regions especially, are telling people that if they want to pour concrete, you're going to have to go to your handler and get a letter that indicates that uh, you've got a market for additional milk. Nobody wants to spend a lot of money and, and maybe not have a place to sell their milk. Supplies are tightening. Well, let's let, let's kind of 
I'll say cut to the chase, if you will. You presented some uh, specific forecasts about how you see milk pricing in the in the year ahead. Let, let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, when I uh, give the price forecast, I'll often give the both class three and four forecasts. But um, I like to talk with folks a little bit more about the all milk price forecast. I think that connects a bit more directly with with producers because it does also include premiums. And we've seen uh, premiums dwindle over the last several years. So it hasn't just been regulated minimum prices, it's been premiums as well. We still don't have, but we will in a couple of weeks, we'll have the December all mill price for 2019. But I'm projecting that uh, that over the course of the year is going to look like 2019 uh, was about a $2.35 or $0.36 improvement over 2018. So we've already had big milk price improvement. And my forecasts are that maybe we've got as much as another $1.30 improvement in 2020 over what 2019 was. Although I'm expecting declines in milk prices here over the next few months going into the spring, I do think that we could hit $20 milk prices again by the end of the year. So I'm I'm optimistic, I guess, about the milk price. It's not a crazy optimistic forecast, but, but I'm a little stronger than futures markets are and uh, even than USDA is. And the reason is that I think that we may be a tight on milk. And the one thing I suggested that people watch is the flush. When uh, we have our seasonal high milk production in April, May, June, that time time period, you'll want to look and see whether this is a big flush this year or if it's a light flush. If it's a light flush, I think that we'll find that it's an opportunity for buyers to get nervous and they'll want to come in and procure their milk supply or their dairy product supplies early because, uh, you know, they, uh, they'll be concerned about the level of stocks being down now relative to where they were. If it's a heavier flush, then the price strengthening will be slower for the year. And I even threw out some numbers. I think in that April, May, two-month time period, look and see what the total U.S. milk flush is. If if it's 615 million pounds per day or less, that's a light flush. If it's 620 million pounds of milk per day or more, uh, that would qualify as a heavier flush. Those things, I think, are going to be the next piece of information that the markets are really looking for. Absent any real new information, we're seeing things happen that you know make people scratch their head. Cheese prices are up, you know, a nickel or a dime, and you know, next couple of days are down uh, 12 cents or you know, just banging around, and and it's just the lack of information, uh, no real direction that they have. So this, I think the flush will be a, the big piece of information. Well, and maybe we'll be able to check back with you uh, as we move into that later spring time frame and get your perspective on what sort of flush we're having. Glad to give you an idea. We'll keep our eye on the stocks reports and uh, you know on milk production. Those are two real key pieces of information for us. Thank you. We uh, really appreciate you taking time to share your thoughts with us, and uh, we look forward to staying in touch as the spring unfolds. Let's hope the flush is moderate and that prices continue to strengthen. Thank you. You're welcome. We've been speaking today with Dr. Mark Stevenson of the University of Wisconsin. This is Joel Hastings for Dairy Voice on DairyBusiness.com.